Good morning, First Free. It's such a privilege to bring the word of the Lord uh, to you today. I am grateful for this church and for its strategic placement in this city and conference. And I know even whether we're gathered or whether today uh, we're, we're gathered digitally or virtually, um, God has strategically placed each and every one of us as the church to influence uh, the community in which we live. And I'm just so thankful uh, for you and for the influence that God has given you to help in his uh, work to bring reconciliation of our world to God. So thank you. Thank you for that. Well, we live in some very interesting times. I think 2020 has been uh, a challenging year that many of us are weary of or maybe just plain weary and the constant tension in our uh, culture surrounding everything uh, has me thinking how we're called as followers of Jesus to live differently. And so as I begin to examine the scriptures in preparation for um, this conversation today, I was drawn to the book of Ephesians. The primary message of Ephesians from beginning to end is that as followers of Jesus, we are supposed to live differently. Let me say that again. As followers of Jesus, we are supposed to live differently. So while I would love to unpack all the ways that Paul teaches the Ephesian church to live differently as followers of Jesus, I'm going to skip to the very end uh, today because uh, Pastor Matt told me y'all wouldn't be too excited to have like a four-hour sermon. So we're going to skip straight to the end today and see how he uses an illustration uh, from the military to instruct us how to have peace in our hearts and confidence in the outcome in the middle of turmoil and tension. So now for us to understand what Paul is trying to say to us in our time and context, we first must understand what Paul is saying in the time and context of the readers uh, to whom this book was written. So uh, the author of the book of Ephesians was a man by the name of Paul. He was one of the early church leaders, and along with some friends, Paul founded the church in Ephesus, uh, which was the third largest city in the Roman Empire about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Paul writes this particular letter to the Ephesian church some 10 years after it was founded. And we can see in reading the book that they had done well and were a church that was growing and expanding by making disciples of the people who lived there and passed through the city, even uh, planting churches in other areas uh, in modern day, what would be modern-day Turkey. The Ephesian church uh, lived in a world that was dominated by force. And there was all kinds of underlying tensions between different groups of people. This particular city had long ago been conquered by the Roman Empire, but was very different than the rest of the Roman Empire. In the city of Ephesus, there was a matriarchal culture which was centered on the worship of a female goddess. Whereas the, in Roman culture, there, it was very patriarchal. The entire system of law and government was set up on a patriarchal system and they worshipped 
the emperor. So there were all these kinds of tensions that were happening. Add to that that, that Ephesus was a very cosmopolitan city uh, full of commerce with people that would come from all over the known world then and bringing their different ideas and their different cultures into this city. And so there were oftentimes this, un this undercurrent of tension and subversive rebellion. But on the surface, the peace was enforced by the Roman uh, soldiers that were garrisoned there. So um, in the cities where Rome occupied, there, there were Roman troops that were garrisoned in those cities to keep the peace and to remind the population of their obligation to Rome. So Roman soldiers like the ones that were just pictured patrolled the city to serve as a reminder to its citizens of Rome's might and power. So it was to the people living in this setting that Paul addresses the passage that we're reading today. And you can follow along with today's text, which is Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breast, breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. In this closing passage in Ephesians, which centers on this uh, ongoing theme that we're to live differently and have peace in our hearts, Paul um, ends his encouragement to the church with this striking picture of military might. Not just any military, but he uses the very symbolism of Rome's power, the Roman soldier, as his canvas for talking to the church about being ready for spiritual resistance and aggression in their efforts on the mission. So to understand this context, we see right away that he uses this word, finally, which means he's He's referencing something earlier in the text. In this particular case, we can see that Paul is wrapping up an idea that he introduced in chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. This um, call by Paul, this call by God that we have received, is to live differently, a life worthy of the calling that we've received. So he's asking us to be a church 
that displays the wondrous love and goodness of God at work in our, in our own heart and lives, which he talks about in chapter 3. Paul makes his final points in this text using the imagery and language of the military to try and help his hearers and us today understand that the, that the path is not just living uh, differently, it's living victoriously. And so the first thing that he calls out for us to live in this different way and experience this victorious life is to be strengthened in the Lord Jesus. In verse 10, the verb that Paul uses in, in the version that we read, it says, be strong. Uh, but in, in the original language, that's a passive uh, word. And it might be better translated, be strengthened. This continues the theme from his prayer just prior to this teaching where he says in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The struggle with spiritual forces at work in the world, contrary to God's purposes, doesn't depend on our strength, but on God's. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that it doesn't depend on your own strength or whatever strength that you can muster? While God invites us to partner with him in his plan to reconcile the world to himself because of his great love, he does not expect us to be superheroes um, that would wield this awesome, crazy power against a, an impressive foe. That's, that's an idea that we get in our heads. But I'm grateful that God doesn't require that of us. I don't know about you, but there are times when I feel as strong as a wet noodle. I don't have the strength necessarily to meet the opposition that I face or the challenges of the day in and of myself. But Paul doesn't ask us to be the source of strength, but rather to be strengthened in our connection with God and his mighty power. Our job here is not to conjure up or amass strength that uh, within ourselves that we can impress uh, the enemy with, but rather to lean hard into the strength of the Lord by submitting to his leadership. Paul is using uh, Jesus' title, Lord, here to remind us that the authority and power is in Jesus and that it's in our submission to him that we find this strength for ourselves. This is so different than the message that we are being uh, taught today in our culture. We don't have to amass this strength. We don't have to somehow figure out how to be strong in and of our own selves. We can lean in to the person and presence of Jesus in whom our strength is found. That is very different than the culture in which we live. Paul goes on to remind us that the struggle is real. The struggle is real. In verses 11 and 12, Paul talks about the spiritual struggle that's happening uh, all around us and in us 
that involves some mysterious actors outside of our understanding and view, but also bleeds into our world uh, uh, through the activities of the devil, who we know from other places in scripture is a spiritual being, not equal to God. He's not sort of God's nemesis and there's this power struggle happening. Uh, he's not at all that, but he is a being who is in rebellion to God, who's seeking to corrupt and destroy God's creation. So Paul says we must put on the full armor of God to stand against the devil's schemes or strategies. Note that Paul tells us that we risk falling prey to these schemes and strategies if we're not aware or ready for them. So he uses this illustration, uh, this idea of struggle. He, he says, uh, in some versions it says we wrestle not. That, that word struggle in the original language is a wrestling term. It, it, uh, it references this very close up and personal and physical contest between two people. Uh, what's pictured here are some people that are wrestling in uh, Roman days, they would be less well-dressed than they are here. So uh, I spared you that. But, but um, there, it was a very up-close and personal contest that, that was occurring and that Paul's referencing here. My uncle was a wrestler in the 80s who was expected to make the U.S. Olympic team until his neck was broken in a match. Now he coaches college wrestling. And he teaches his wrestlers that one of the key deciders in any wrestling match is the ability of the wrestler to anticipate, uh, to be alert and anticipate the schemes of one's opponent, the strategies that that opponent might be trying to, to entrap you with. And so being able to identify the scheme and avoiding it will play a very significant role on whether or not uh, a person can win a wrestling match. And so Paul is telling the Ephesians and us to be alert to the schemes of the enemy and to recognize the danger. He warns us not to get confused about who the enemy is. Friends, people are not the problem. Let me say that again. People are not the problem. One of the current schemes of the enemy in our culture and our time is to convince us that people are the problem. Maybe people that think differently than us or look differently than us or vote differently than us or, or approach the pandemic differently than us, that they're a problem. Friends, that's a scheme of the enemy to rob us, to divide us, to tear down that which God has uh, placed within us. People are not the source of the problem. They're not the source of the struggle. And we need to be very aware of this or we will be vulnerable to fall into the schemes that the enemy has set for us. The hearts of people are the battlefield. The battlefield of the struggle. People are precious to God. All people are precious to God. Jesus died so that all people could have the opportunity to be restored into relationship with God. And our mission is to partner with him in that work of reconciliation. Um, 
But one of the schemes of the enemy, one of the, one of the strategies that the devil uses is to get us to see one another or other people as the enemy. This is why Paul spends such a significant portion of the book of Ephesians talking about how we should relate differently than the, the people around us. Because out there people are, are constantly pivoting themselves in relationship to other people. They're constantly looking at people as potential adversaries or as... Um, uh, in a competitive way but Paul is telling us that we need to view people with compassion and with the same love that Jesus is viewing us we're being asked to be strong in the Lord and to lean into his strength and into his way of living Paul unpacks this further in verses 13 through 17 with the imagery of a Roman soldier's armor and I want you to look at this picture of a Roman guard's armor. Um, Paul, Paul tells us to put on every piece of armor, but you can see from this picture uh, of a typical Roman soldier heading off uh, to war, heading to go out to conquer uh, a new area, you can see they have a lot of gear. They have a lot of gear that they're carrying. But in this text, Paul only highlights the military gear that would have been seen daily by the people who are reading this letter uh, as they notice the soldiers walking around their street, both, both uh, stationed and patrolled, of an occupied city. So this armor that Paul is talking about is not the armor of going out on a campaign to win a battle who, which the outcome is uncertain of. Paul is talking about the armor that soldiers on patrol would use in an already conquered city where the battle had already been won, where they were there as, um, as victors demonstrating uh, the victory, not as um, an open contest. And this is important for us to remember because one of the schemes of the enemy is to try to get us to think that the outcome is on us, that somehow we have to go to war and win this battle for Jesus. But that is so far from the truth. Jesus has already won the battle. And our job is to go and represent him in the world where he has called us and where he has put us. And to do that, we need to put on this everyday armor of a soldier. And so it's called the armor of God. And there are different pieces of it that I want to take a few moments to walk through. The first is the belt of truth. We get in our own way when we are not firmly grounded in the truth. Jesus is the truth personified. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus promised, if you remain in my word and my word remains in you, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Friends, one of the schemes of the enemy in our specific time is to blur the truth and blend the truth and redefine the truth and, and get all kinds of, of lies and deceit and things out there that will destroy our culture and destroy us. Friends, there's, it is so important at this moment in time that we be people of the truth. Not people of conspiracy theories, not people of gossip, not people who are, are giving in to every uh, 
thing that's put in front of us, but like the Bereans to test the things that we are being uh, uh, confronted with and to live firmly grounded in the truth. And that truth is personified in Jesus Christ. There are lots of people right now competing to define the truth of this moment. But friends, we do not need uh, to, to have a new truth. We already know the truth. The truth is that Jesus, so, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that God did not come into the world to condemn the world, to separate, de denigrate, shame, and judge, but rather to bring life and vitality. And that is what we need to stand for in this moment. That is living differently than uh, the culture is demanding at this time. Paul goes on to say that we should wear and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Roman culture thought of righteousness as conforming to the customs and traditions of Rome. Uh, Jewish culture thought that righteousness was conforming to the laws that were represented in the Old Testament. But as followers of Jesus, we recognize that righteousness is a gift that is given to us by Jesus. A righteousness that we do not deserve or that we could ever earn, but that flows from the grace of a good God. Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 3 where he says, But whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What Paul is talking about here is a gift that we have from God. Jesus gives us a gift of his righteousness. And what was his righteousness? Well, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that the righteousness of Jesus is that even though he was God, instead of lording that over us, he laid down his life as a sacrifice for us all. And that we too are to set aside our interests for the sake of others to show them the love of Jesus. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's living a life that denies oneself, takes up the cross and follows Jesus. So that we can show the people around us uh, who Jesus is. The next thing that Paul references are the shoes of peace. Now, peace is a very significant concept in Scripture, occurring nearly a hundred times in the New Testament alone. It has its roots in the Hebrew word of shalom, which is uh, mentioned over 250 times in the Old Testament. And the kind of peace that is spoken about here is that inner kind of peace, that kind of, of well-being that you understand deep in your soul, that's derived from a deep relationship with God, the kind of wholeness that comes 
from uh, having the image of God deeply set in your identity and understanding that, that no matter what is going on, you are deeply loved and valued by God so that anything that's happening out here um, doesn't have to shake that peace because we live in an unshakable kingdom where we have been given the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though we were once shattered by sin, we have been restored into right standing as believers. And we can enter boldly into the presence of God without fear or judgment because of the grace that's been given us. That's the good news of peace that Paul is talking about here. That we need to um, put on. Friends, right now our world is not characterized by peace. There is so much angst. So much angst about what's going to happen here. And how are we going to respond to that. And what does the future look like. And all of this angst that comes. But friends, please. Let's, follow, let's live differently. Let's follow Paul's words of advice here and put on the shoes of peace, the good news of peace. We do not have anything to prove. We have nothing that we need to do to try to, to, to prove ourselves valuable or, or that we need to do in the face of all this. We know how the story ends. You are unshakably in the hands of Jesus. You are... Um, a part of his family. You can enter in boldly uh, to his throne. And all of these things should fill our hearts and help us to approach our lives differently than that around us. The shield of faith. Romans, uh, Roman soldiers had these large door-like shields that you saw in the picture. They're just huge. And they're wide enough and tall enough that they protect most of the body of a Roman soldier. But their real power was when soldiers configured into like a, a battle line or a wall um, where they would hold these shields out and kind of link uh, together. Uh, standing close, they would uh, erect these walls and, and be, begin to project the entire line of soldiers against whatever the enemy might throw at them. It would protect them, but it was also an ability to project strength. And so there was a communal aspect to the use of a shield. A soldier gained maximum value from his shield when it joined with the shields of fellow soldiers. And so Paul uses the shield as a metaphor of faith. In the New Testament, faith has to do with a person's affirmative response to Jesus. Our affirmative response to Jesus protects us. And just as Roman soldiers gained maximum value when they used their shields together, we as followers of Jesus gain maximum value when we link our faith uh, together and encourage one another to say yes to Jesus. That's what faith is. It's saying yes to Jesus. It's putting my trust in Jesus. It's taking my next step of obedience in Jesus. And when we try to do that all by ourselves, we can lose heart. But when we, when we come together, and right now we can't come together physically, but when we encourage one another by whatever means that we can, even in this time, when we, when we utilize means to encourage one another, our faith is strengthened. 
This is why the New Testament, when it talks about the church more than any other thing, it says to encourage one another, that give one another faith, link arms with one another in faith, strengthen one another so that we can stand. It's that, it's that shield of faith that causes us to live differently. And so even in this moment when we're tempted and we're, we're in some ways physically isolated and, and we're tempted maybe to hunker down and be alone. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we're not called to be alone. And so even though we have to separate maybe for a season so we can get through this pandemic, it's important that we connect by the means that are available to us so that we can encourage one another in the faith and share our faith one with another so we can stand in this hour. The next thing that Paul talks about is the helmet of salvation. And a blow to the head, especially when you're talking about the kind of uh, blunt and heavy instruments that were used in war at that time, were more likely to kill or disable a, a soldier than a body blow. So helmets are one of the uh, most important uh, pieces of armor at that time. Understanding our salvation is critical to our readiness and avoiding the schemes of the devil. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul describes what salvation means. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Friends, we have been given the gift of salvation and generously as we have received, we should generously give. But this salvation that God has given to you, um, understanding it is critical um, to being able to stand against the enemy's schemes. Because the enemy is trying to get us constantly to try to earn our salvation, to try to do this to earn the approval of God or, or to try to do that or to link our salvation uh, with some piece of our behavior or our thoughts and constantly the enemy is coming at us saying well because you did this or because you thought that you're no longer uh, uh, saved you no longer have access to this friends those are lies and schemes from the pit of hell you if you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus and received his grace you have it you have salvation and so when we step into that understanding that we have been saved we have been reconciled to God it's there that we can go in boldness to God's throne it's from there that we can face whatever the world would throw at us with a sense of peace because we know what the outcome is and that can only come with an understanding of the salvation that we have been given Finally, uh, as uh, the last piece of armor Paul talks about is the sword of the Spirit or the Word of God. Now the sword was the principal weapon that an ordinary foot soldier would use in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So when spiritual forces confront the people of God, the scripture protects us against the devil's schemes. And so Paul uh, later writes to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Now, remember when Paul is describing this to his readers, they're thinking of the soldiers that are patrolling the neighborhoods in their city. The armor that Paul talks about, all this armor, uh, uh, was representative of the greater power of the Roman Empire. They never gave way to the enemy, but they stood ready to confront the enemy. Their armor conveyed, I mean, it was, it was designed, the color, the, the design of their armor was uh, there to convey, if you mess with me as a Roman soldier, you are messing with the might of Rome. The war is already over. They were there to enforce the peace and stood with confidence because they already knew that they were victorious. They knew who they were. They knew who they represented. And that gave them confidence to stand no matter what uh, sort of rebellion or tensions or whatever else arose in that particular context. Friends, more than ever before as followers of Jesus, we need to know who we are and who we represent. That we're not trying to fight this battle and win it. Jesus has already won it. That we are here as representatives of Jesus to to, uh, bring peace, to bring life, uh, to bring the message of the gospel uh, to those around. And when we stand in In this world, in this present time, we are not just standing as uh, whatever we have to bring to the table. We are standing in the power and the strength and the might of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Who who will see every knee bow um, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So we can walk with this armor in confidence. And Paul is telling us that um, so that we can step into the next action, the final action that he gives here, which is pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Uh, In verses 18 and 19, Paul tells us to pray. And for the first time in this passage, Paul is shifting from an emphasis of preparation and readiness to very active engagement. I have a friend, Amy DeBreeze, and and she always says that prayer isn't the least we can do. It's the best we can do. Friends, prayer is not a platitude or just a time filler that we have. It is um, intercession with the Almighty God. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And so um, he asks us to pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion because he wants to intervene. In this world. And so this is the move which um, affects the spiritual struggle in a very tangible way. God wants to answer our prayers. He also wants us uh, to pray. And when we pray, we are shifting things in the spiritual realm. We can't always see the results. But Paul reminds us here that it is a crucial part of following Jesus. We need to pray. And friends, I just want to encourage all of you. In this time, it feels like there's a lot of things that we can't do. But there is absolutely one thing that we can and we must do. And that is to pray in the Spirit at all times. To pray that God will put an end to this virus. 
uh, either providentially or through medical means, that God will bring the light and life of his salvation to people that are living in darkness, full of anxiety and fear, uh, and, and that they might know the love of Jesus Christ. God answers prayer. Your neighbor, your loved one, your, your, um, your uh, even enemy, if you will submit to praying for them uh, to God, God will answer that prayer. And that is where we will see so many things shift in our world. So friends, let us pray. Paul wraps up this encouragement to live differently because of Jesus by asking us to stand ready and pray constantly. Doing so is what helps us to live differently and victoriously as messengers of peace in a world that's filled with anxiety and unrest and violence. Would you just take a moment and reflect on your own heart as we end our time? You might be listening to this, um, never having committed your life to follow Jesus. Jesus is extending this invitation to you to follow him and to live differently and be a part of the family of God without shame, without judgment, to be reconciled as a friend of God. He's extending that to you uh, right now, whether, whether you're listening to this live, whether you're listening uh, uh, three days from now or three months from now. God is extending that invitation to you. It will be both the easiest thing you do and the hardest thing you do. It's easy because it's given to you free, the grace of God. God wants to be reconciled in a relationship with you more than you can know. And if you will just but receive that, he will extend that to you. It'll also be one of the hardest things you ever do because giving up the leadership of your own life in preference of following the leadership of Jesus is one of the hardest things uh, that, that we do, but it's also one of the most valuable uh, things that we do. So will you allow yourself to say yes to this invitation and to choose to follow him? If, if you're making that commitment, I just want to encourage you on our website, uh, please reach out and connect with us. We want to connect with you and help you take your next steps in following Jesus. Maybe you're listening to this and you've already uh, committed your life to following Jesus, but God is talking to you about the state of your spiritual readiness. Um, what is it that um, Jesus is talking to you about this uh, armor? What is, it that, what is the one thing that you need to do in response to this message so that you can live differently and be in a state of spiritual readiness for the things that are going on in response to our times. I don't know what that is, but God knows what that is. And so if you open your heart to him, he'll speak to you on that. And I encourage you to respond by saying yes to Jesus. Let's pray.